Bunny Young. Wow, did I enjoy speaking to, to Bunny Young. She, she is a chief burnout prevention specialist. I guess is her you know, official title, but she works with people on work-life balance. She's gone through uh, so much uh, trauma herself, uh, but she works with people on, uh, you know, life, work balance, the, the material, the videos, the content she has is incredible up on her YouTube site about how to make that balance. She talks about the importance of clarity, confidence, change, consistency, and what to do with them. Uh, she was originally a, a stunt woman. What a fascinating story how, how that came to be. I think you're going to enjoy that. But Bunny Young, just an incredible coach, incredibly smart, inspirational woman. Um, her story just continues to amaze me. The masterclass that I listened to, watched on YouTube of hers was, was incredible. I could not stop listening. I took a lot of notes. Uh, she's just really great at what she does. The difference between she was a therapist, now she's a coach. The difference between the two. But really talking about um, you know, how to you know, get rid of being overwhelmed and, and uh, you know, and um, distractions and, uh, you know, the importance of community. She has, uh, you know, she has got a heart condition. She had brain injuries. Just incredible, incredible story. Um, and together, uh, we, uh, we're going to throw starfish back into the, back into the water. Uh, you don't know what that means, but you will. You will know what that means and you're going to enjoy it. And I hope you'll join us in, in doing just that. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Young, thank you so much uh, for doing this. Has you know, the pandemic and I don't know, some are calling the great resignation. Has this caused workers, let's just talk about the United States, perhaps, uh, has it caused them to have a better focus on being less overwhelmed and a better life work balance? You know, as much as I would love to answer that, 
a question for the world and specifically for Western civilization. Mm. I can only speak from my experience and working with my clients. And I think the answer to your question is that it's shown, it, it's given us a chance to really prioritize. So, and really decide what is important in our lives and what we want more of and what we want to spend our time with. And I think that a lot of that had to do with most people were uh, no longer having a commute and they were able to spend more time with their families or their loved ones. Um, and some an interesting statistic, statistic around that is the amount of divorces hmm. that have come out of, you know, the post-pandemic. And, you know, even though we're still in it, it's just interesting to kind of see how it's given us permission to really say this is what's important. So many times we're on a hamster wheel and we're just rinsing and repeating and getting up and doing the same thing over and over again. And this is really the first time in our generation and probably in the past um, 70 years where we've really just stopped and said, is this working for us? Mm. Um, and I was giving a talk the other day and it's like, remember, if you're an American, most of us can remember exactly where we were when the planes hit the Twin Towers and September 11th. And we can remember how it felt to become one nation and to be going through something together. And this is another time where we all experience something as a world together and that we're able to heal together and survive together and thrive together and be able to have some common ground. And so I think that this gave a lot of employers as well um, a chance to reflect on the way that we've always done business is not necessarily the way that we're going to do business in the future. And these gigantic campuses with, you know, 20 floors that just have these cubicles, are they necessary? Do we need to have a 40-hour work week? And also with the great resignation, being able to say, you know, this life that I had outside of my work for the past 18 months, for the past 24 months, I really enjoy that. Mm. And I found that I was more productive and happier when I wasn't driving into work and I wasn't in this environment. So there's a human component. There's a mental health component. There's an emotional component. There's a familial component. Um, and it just gave us a second to really take a breath and, and evaluate for a lot of us. Yeah, well said. I think that... I wonder, I know all kind. Of, there's going to be so many studies from, you know, from what we've experienced in the last two years and continue to, I just wonder if the kind of happiness quotient has risen given that, you know, has life work balance increased? Hopefully it has with, with, with those factors you just mentioned with people working home and uh, health. We've seen, you know, some mixed results on overall health. I, I, I wonder where it is. Where it, where it was, where it is now, and where it's going to be. I wonder what you think about that and who you work with. You think they're happier. You think they're healthier. So that's an interesting question in the aspect that happiness is a positive outcome or a mm. positive consequence of other choices that we make in our life. And studies have shown time and time again that when we make happiness the goal, that we miss it. Hmm. Because happiness is a byproduct. It's a consequence. And being able to, like, I, 
as a, a mother and as a, a female, I can tell you I wasn't happy giving birth. Mm. <laughs> Labor wasn't something that was um, happy for me. And yet the focus and the desire to have children and the um, being able to hold my daughters afterwards, that hard work and pain and what I went through resulted in this beautiful being that makes me happy. And so if I had just focused on being happy, I don't think I ever would have gone through labor hmm. if that was my primary focus. And so if your primary focus is, is happiness, you're, what you're basically telling your unconscious and your subconscious is that I will be happy when X happens. And the reality is, is you can choose happiness now. Even if you don't like where you work or who you work with, hmm. you can choose happiness right now in this moment, whether it's just the fact that you're breathing or the fact that you're listening to this incredible podcast or the fact that you are, you know, um, going to have an amazing drink later today or that you got safely to wherever you were going this morning. You had a yoga class. You can choose happiness now. So while there is a lot of benefit to delayed gratification, the focus on happiness and happiness at work and happiness in life, as well as work-life balance, mm. is, is an unrealistic expectation in the work that I do with clients. Work-life alignment, so aligning the things that you do both in your professional and your personal lives with your overall mission and vision for this world as far as what you believe your gifts are on this planet and what you believe you were brought here to do and fulfill, that brings fulfillment. And with fulfillment then comes happiness. And with also that fulfillment, it doesn't matter whether you're working or whether you're cooking dinner or whether you're playing with your family or whether you're meditating, that sense of fulfillment is what brings that aligned action. And the real, the the really unfair reality of the common term of work-life balance gives this connotation that it'll be 40 hours at work and then 40 hours for your family and 40 hours mm. for you. And that's just not true. I mean, I, I haven't worked a 40-hour work week in, in probably, you know, uh, I can't remember the last time that I worked a 40-hour work week. And yet I'm completely fulfilled. Um, and that's that I think that's really the perspective change is rather than saying, I'll be happy when I lose 30 pounds. Mm. That means that every single day until I lose 30 pounds, what I'm telling myself is I'm unhappy or I'm unhappy now. Um, or I'll be happy when I have work-life balance. And we all have seasons and changes and aspects of our life. I'm the primary caregiver for my mother and for my children. Um, and so, you know, this is a season of my life. The balance that I have right now, I create. I create through alignment. And the beautiful thing about life is that there's always going to be balance of horrific things that happen in our world will have incredible light-filled things that happen in our world. And so where we choose to focus is really our gift and our prerogative. And um, But a, a world full of people who say, I will be happy when, is a world full of unhappy people. Hmm. 
Hmm. So what should be the measurement if it's not happiness? What should, is it fulfillment? Is it, I mean, these are ambiguous terms. I know they're hard to measure. Uh, you know, we, in business, certainly we talk about smart goals that are specific, measurable, accountable, realistic, and, and timely. So happiness is a bit ambiguous, but what, what should people strive for? You believe? That's a, that's a personal question for you based mm. on what you want out of your life. And if you want to experience more happiness, then experience more happiness now. If mm. um, you want to experience more freedom, then choose things that experience more freedom now. And I think to go back to what I just shared about the seasons of life, I think that mm. what you're measuring Give yourself permission to allow that to change and don't allow anybody, me included on a podcast to tell you what you should be measuring in order for you to feel fulfilled in your mm -hmm. life, in order for you to live a good life. This is your life and you can't possibly get it wrong because it's your life. And the mistake that so many of us make is that we're comparing ourselves to others when really mm -hmm. our only competition is ourselves. And so you're measuring yourself against who you were yesterday and to have a better life today than you did yesterday or than you did last, you know, in the previous hour or that morning. And just know that even if you don't start your day out great, you still have the rest of the day. And so what, what do you, I'll flip that around and say, what do you want to measure? What are you focused on right now? And I think that that's when I'm working with clients for a work-life alignment or I'm working with companies on work-life alignment and doing coaching, that's something that we work a lot on helping discover because it's not a question that we ask ourselves. We were asked when we were in third grade what we want to be when we grow up. Right. But when's the last time you stopped and asked yourself that question now? And so what happens is, you know, 85 to 90% of our desires are actually influenced by other people in our lives and society and advertising and television and media, and they're not actually ours. And so we get the Range Rover, we get the Maserati, we get the $10 million house, we get the, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then we find, oh, wait, this actually wasn't mine. This mm. was somebody else's. And so it doesn't fulfill me. I spoke to a a business leader, Italian business leader yesterday, where they're trying to use the, um, the movement, the, uh, La Dolce Vita, right? The sweet life was a movement in Italy after World War II to get people back to work, but to also enjoy things. And, uh, you know, her, her point was not to forego pleasure, you know, to increase life work balance. But even if it's just a couple of minutes of walking away from your computer and going for a walk and coming back, it's, it's helpful. Uh, you know, the whole issue of life work balance, I think, uh, kind of opened up the opened up our conversation with is even more important than ever now since this you know people really really you know want it they're getting used to work from home some people you know some there's going to be some that don't want to work from home for whatever reason but still you know they're quitting their job because they didn't like it they're trying to find others and um i mean do you when you're working with people do you know where are they in that in that, in that line. I, I keep on going back to, are they happier now? I hope they are. I know that's ambiguous. Uh, I don't know how we measure that, but you know, when you're working with people now, you know, are they asking you 
By the way, your content is incredible uh, on YouTube. I, I can't get enough of it. I mean, I was sitting through your masterclass, just mes mesmerized, and I've got questions on that. But I, I really want to talk about, you know, getting. I, I guess this really comes down to health too. You know, are they getting healthier? Are they happier? Are they, are they increasing life work balance? What struggles and pushback do you find, Bunny, when you talk to them? The biggest struggle is permission. Hmm. The biggest struggle is finding the line between where my permission begins and your permission for my life ends and hmm. boundaries. And that's one of the things that we were given during the, the pandemic for the majority of us is a very clear boundary. Stay home and take care of yourself. Your health is the most important thing. And that message doesn't change whether or not COVID goes away. And when we talk about health, there's been so many initiatives that um, as a company, we've been a part of since the, you know, forever, I want to say forever, it feels like forever. Um, and when we say health, most of the time, it's a corporation installing a gym mm. in, on their campus. There's mental health, there's emotional health, there's physical health, there's spiritual health, which regardless of what your religious beliefs are, you know, that sense that we're not alone and there is a higher power is very important to the the holistic aspect of our well-being. And so focusing on health in a, in a larger realm, and also thank you for that about my content. This is, this is my heart and soul that um, I put out there and I try to do the majority of it for free. So I, I don't want to glance over that. I received that and I'm so mm. grateful for that. And, you know, going back to what are they focused on? It's permission. It really is permission to ask the questions of what would make me happy? What are my goals? What are my dreams? And I, right before this call, we have um, a program that is a six month program called Defy that I'm working through with a group of individuals. And the activities are so simple, Joe, like the toolbox activities are so simple. And yet the feedback that I get every single week when we meet is I've never, I, I haven't taken the time to break it down like this. I haven't taken the time to figure out why it is that I want these goals. And the majority of the time that changes everything and it adds a different perspective. And the other thing is that we, I, I had somebody ask me today, the question of if I finish my goal, if I finish or I complete my focus, do I just put another focus in there? And I said, well, you could, and you could celebrate that you finished it. So, so when do we stop and actually celebrate? And when do we ask for help? And when do we ask for support? And so I think, and another one of my clients who, you know, he reached the seven figures, he reached the multiple seven figures, you know, he's on to reaching the next level. And the question was, what is enough? Hmm. When do you get to start to enjoy this life that you're working for? And in a Western civilization, we have this measurement of retirement. So I will enjoy life when I'm retired. And I have multiple heart conditions and a brain injury from a car accident I was in a few years ago. And the biggest blessing out of all of that, Joe, has been today is a gift and tomorrow's not guaranteed. And yes, that's so cliche, but at the same time, have your cake and eat it too, mm. you know, because it's 
it's enjoying it. And so how the, the thing that I'm working with clients on is how to grow their impact and their income as well as their permission to enjoy life along the way. And mm. I get asked, am I a life coach? Am I a business coach? Well, I'm a hybrid and, and you know, some of my background in the aspect that I went to school and got a master's degree and was a, a therapist in both social services and in private practice. Um, I was even a stunt woman and I was born into a third generation entrepreneurial family. And so I kind of, this came second nature to me on how to grow a business. And then from my psychology background, it was like, you know, every single business has humans in it. And if we don't take care of the humans, whether taking care of the teams or taking care of the clients or taking care of the business owner, the growth of the company depends on the growth of the people. Mm. And so really when you boil it down, we're working, I'm working and my team is working with clients and companies on growth an intentional growth. And that's growth as a person that aligns with the growth of the company. And so what a company may be measuring as far as KPIs or lead metrics or lag metrics come from their team's ability to grow and their clients' knowledge and education to grow as well. So if those, if two of those things don't grow, if your team doesn't grow, and your client's education and relationship with your company doesn't grow, then your company will not grow. Hmm. And my grandfather, I laugh because, um, you know, we went to his memorial, Joe, and it, uh, this was in 2010, and it was standing room only. And story after story was told that as his granddaughter, I mean, I was his oldest granddaughter, and I spent a lot of time with my grandfather. I had never heard any of these stories. Wow. But I had heard my grandfather say, you know, you take care of your people and they will take care of the process and they will take care of the product and they will take care of the profit. Hmm. And I, I mean, I had no idea what this meant when I was little, but then to, to hear all of these stories just 12 years ago and see this as standing room only, he didn't boast about any of these accomplishments, but all these people that even worked for him 25 years ago we're still so dedicated to the company, to the man and to their mission because he took care of his people. And he understood that it wasn't about the hours. It wasn't about the paycheck. It was about the value and valuing a person is more valuable than anything that you could pay a person. It's so true. You know, I've, I've been fortunate by the way, I've got stunt woman. I got a lot of questions. By the way, with, with, it just, with, with you, what you just brought up, but um, going back to your grandfather, uh, yeah, I, I've been fortunate. I started my my tech business in the '90s. I have I have a couple of employees that have been with me for over 20 years, and uh, you know, and the, the greatest compliment I get that is the greatest compliment I get that you know we're doing something that's kept them on, that believes in the mission, that believes in the vision. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's on it. It's, it's humbling to hear how humble your grandfather was that he didn't really talk about these accolades with you because, you know, he wanted to spend time with his family and kind of separated a bit. I'm going to assume, um, it, it, that's, that's really refreshing and, and warm. Um, you know, in one of your, uh, well, let's go back to this. You mentioned that you were a therapist once and now you're a coach. What's the difference? What's the difference, Bonnie, between a therapist and a coach? As a therapist, 
it's about listening and developing a treatment plan around a diagnosis. Hmm. And I guess I'm going to answer this from the business perspective as well as I'm going to answer this from a very um, personal and biased perspective. And there's a YouTube video on my channel that, that goes into the actual definition if you're interested in the actual definition. And so from the business model perspective, a therapist's business model succeeds from you continuing to be come and sit down on my couch every hmm. week. And so just by really offensive definition, the business model succeeds by you staying sick. Wow. And a therapist is trained to create a treatment plan and it's around a diagnosis and we listen and we support that diagnosis. A coach, what I'm able to do as a coach is to create an action plan and to bring both the strategic and the energetic and to be more. Now, a consultant will give advice. As a coach, think about it as a sports coach. I'm here to not focus on a diagnosis and what's wrong with you and talk about what's wrong with you. And mm. there are therapists that are going to listen to this and you know, disagree. And that's a hundred percent. There are amazing therapists out there, but from a business model perspective, as a coach, I wanted to break the codependent cycle between you having a better life and me being across from you in the room. I wanted to give you tools to go out and give you accountability and share my experiences, which is one of the biggest breakdowns, I think, between as a therapist, we have a code of ethics. And I understand I'm still a licensed therapist. I just don't practice. Hmm. But we have a code of ethics around being able to have dual relationships, rightfully so, share experiences and all of this stuff. Well, as a third generation entrepreneur, there's this huge thing missing for me when people, the majority of my clients in private practice were unhappy with their jobs and their companies and their bosses. Hmm. Well, there's no diagnosis in the DSM for that. And so being able, I, I did not say I'm going to become a coach. The 10 second version is that my supervisor, life had a design and my supervisor happened to be married to a brilliant man, a surgeon who was interested in um, equine therapy recovery for trauma. And my supervisor, who's a psychologist, had really no interest in, horse, interest in horses. And so I told her, I don't want to be a therapist anymore. And she said, well, why don't you work with my husband? He's really interested in this therapeutic equine. And this is like the early 2000s. It wasn't a thing yet. And I've had a service animal since 2005, 2006. Um, and I said, okay, I love horses. I grew up riding horses. And long story short, we ended up having a CEO come out for a substance abuse you know, retreat and addiction retreat. And he said, I want to bring my team out here. And I was like, what do you mean your team? And he said, I want to bring my team out here from my company. And I'm like, you want to bring your team to therapy? And he said, you know, communication, positive leadership, trust, this is all thing. These are all things that high executive um, professionals are struggling with. And I want to bring them out here. And then he wanted to have somebody support the team that had been at the ranch. And um, 
my mentors were like, why don't you go do it? And I was like, I'm a therapist. I'm not a business Mm. consultant, which I laugh at now because, you know, now that I'm decades into this experience, a consultant is basically like a catch all for I don't know what to call myself. So I'm just going (laughs) to be a consultant. Mm. And so we still have consultants that work with a better place consulting that do the corporate stuff. Um, what I found was that there are a couple people on the the teams that we were doing consulting with that really wanted to go deeper into their personal and professional development. And I really vibed with that because I felt like it used my psychological and behavioral knowledge as well as my knowledge within business. And so then we hired on coaches to work in the corporate setting. And I switched my focus to entrepreneurs and family-centric business owners that felt stuck and overwhelmed with how to grow without giving the business more of themselves. And so the difference between the toolbox that I have as a coach, I feel like is unlimited. Hmm. And the toolbox that I had as a therapist was, you know, to focus on the diagnosis. Yes, I can add more diagnoses. No one needs a coach. There doesn't have to be anything wrong with you in order to work with a coach. Mm. If you want to make it to the Olympics, you hire a coach. Mm. If you want to play on the Yankees, you have a coach. A coach is somebody that's going to take you to the next level, reduce your learning curve, and really just be there to support you in your optimal performance. A therapist, and in society, there's a stigma around it. A therapist is who you go to see when there's somebody something wrong with you. Mm. And... I really just, I loved being able, even in the corporate setting and now with small businesses, I loved being able to drive down the street and point to a building and say, you know, tell my kids, you know, my mommy, your mommy helped that company and Mm. and big buildings and then small buildings on the corner. And I helped that, that, Hmm. you know, business owners spend more time with their family. That made me feel wonderful. Whereas I was very respectful of the confidentiality. I'm still respectful as a coach of the confidentiality as far as the contents of, of who I work with and what we've done, um, unless I have the permission from the company. But as a therapist, it was just, I couldn't bring my whole self into a session. I couldn't give my patients Hmm. everything that I wanted to be able to do. Um, And specifically, I know this is a long answer to your question, but specifically with social services, um, you may have have heard me say that, you know, I got to a point where I just felt like, I think I described it over the weekend to one of my, um, I I was home visiting family that social services to me, only to me, this is my personal bias, felt like slaying um, a hydra. Whereas Hmm. as soon as I found a suitable placement for one child, four more appeared. And my caseload, you're supposed to spend an hour per kid each week. My caseload was between 84 and 87 children. And I worked everywhere from Amato, which is basically Texas in Arizona, or basically Mexico in Arizona, all the way up sometimes to almost Phoenix. And there's not enough social workers in this world and they get burnout And the average lifespan, you know, of a social worker is less than four years. And it just broke my heart. And there was one day where I called my husband because I, I took custody of a child and I was bringing him to a group home and I called my husband. We were having fertility issues at the time. And I said, I'm bringing him home. And this was like at four in the morning and my husband's so groggy. I, I will never forget this. And he said, 
you're going to lose your license and everything and your job. And I said, I don't care, but I can, because I cannot drop him off knowing that in a few years, I'm going to be picking up his son from his house or his daughter from his house. And the system is just broken and I can't fix it all by myself. And it's not broken because there's not people that don't care, but it's just, it does, there's not enough resources. Mm. And so, um, whereas in coaching, I feel like I can see the impact that I'm making Mm. and feel that. And I feel like it, it, I'm able to bring my whole self. Um, whereas, you know, in social services, I just got so little time with each child and each family that I, you know, there was only so much I could do. And because I just wanted to do more, I had to unfortunately remove myself from the situation. But Joe, what's so interesting is every single thing, even being a stunt woman that I've done on my journey has led me to be the absolute best version of myself and be able to, to serve my clients in just such incredible days. There's incredible ways. There's not a single day that I don't bring all of that into the work that I do or the speaking that I do or, you know, motivating corporate teams at all team meetings. So I'm so grateful. I have no regrets. Um, And I miss my kids all the time. There's, there's times where I'll tell my kids, like, you know, I've raised over 400 and something children, but I've got you two and I have no idea what I'm doing. So, (laughs) you know, it's every day is an adventure. I mean, it's very rewarding, and your passion is reflective in your in, in your work. Uh, somebody once explained to me, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, therapy goes back, coaching goes forward. It depends on the therapist that you work with. Yes, um, you know, to break it down really simply, all of our programming. So all of our psychological programming occurs before the age of seven, which is really scary for all of you parents listening wow. to this thinking, oh, my gosh, I have a six year old. I'm going to screw it up in the next year. Wow. Um, so chances are we've all screwed it up already. Um, so I have a 10 year old and a five year old and I have a master's degree in um, counseling and psychology and so much knowledge and child development. And I guarantee I've still screwed it up. Hmm. So. That's a really good layman's terms where there are some therapists that do focus on going forward. And in coaching, it's also sometimes important to go back and understand the patterns. Hmm. Um, a lot of our patterns, you know, we're born, we're, we're pretty much a blank slate. You know, we've got our genes and we've, we've got some things, um, but for the most part, our primary caregivers, we adopt their patterns. And it doesn't make them right or wrong. It's for survival. Right. You know, uh, if, if a baby is born in the wild, baby anything, they've got to learn how to eat. They've got to learn how to drink. They've got to learn how to walk. And they're modeling after what's ever right there. Where that comes into um, how it impacts us is around finances, is around relationships. It's around self-worth. Hmm. And our brain... If we hear don't, no, stop a lot, that's kind of the directions that we start to give ourselves. And so what I've worked on, and I'm not giving anybody parenting advice, trust me. Um, However, what I've worked on is asking my children questions to empower them to figure out their own solutions to certain situations. And that way, 
you know, and my husband laughs at me because it's like my kids are just my little tiny science experiments. Um, and I love that as well because I had an amazing um, set of parents and, you know, I still went to therapy um, and I still go to therapy for anybody listening to this. So I have, you know, three coaches and a therapist and they have their hands full and I go to therapy to continue to maintain my mental health the same way that I go to a physical, um, a personal trainer to maintain my phys- my physical health. So I've got my mental health and my physical health um, and my practices for my spiritual health uh, and my emotional health. And so that's, it, it takes a team. And if you're going to work with a therapist that's constantly going to talk about the past without appropriately applying it to the future and the current and the present, um, that's difficult because there's nothing we can do about our past. And sometimes, particularly with trauma, it's better. This is going way deep for your listeners. um, But in my experience, I've, I've had more luck going into the body. So... Um, if you guys are, are watching this, um, you can see what my hands are doing. And if you're just listening to this, I want you to imagine just kind of like putting your hand right under your chin. And from there down is subconscious and unconscious. Hmm. Okay. And so from your right under your chin up is conscious. So you have 5% logic, 95% subconscious and unconscious, and your brain can only process so much at once. And so particularly with trauma, however, it's, a, it's applicable around things that we don't remember, the, that's stored in our body. So rather than traditional clinical talk therapy, going through a traumatic event and bringing it up and trying to make sense of it in your brain, you can locate it in your body, anger, fear, terror, Um, sadness and allow it to pass through your body and be able to kind of integrate it that way and release it without actually having to re-traumatize yourself by bringing it up into your memory. Hmm. And so 95% subconscious and unconscious, which is great for breath work and meditation and movement and somatic work and energy work. And then the 5% conscious is, you know, what you don't necessarily need to go back and figure all of those things out. You can just move through them. And, and it's a dance. It's a dance of both. Absolutely fascinating. In your master class, the one I, the one I listened to and watched, I loved it. You talked about the, the four C's, the clarity, the confidence, change, and consistency. And you brought up the point where, you know, you had a best friend die with a drunk driver when you know 16 and, you know, your clarity at the point where it was, you know, alcohol is terrible. And, you know, that was your reference point and, and you went through it very, very elegantly and, and poignantly. Um, would you mind sharing with us what you mean by that? Yeah. Oh man, I was an angry kid. Mm. Um, so I was 16. My best friend was killed by a drunk driver and it was a situation that, um, I had a conversation with him and he was going to be driving home and we were going to see each other that night with his girlfriend. And, um, he was late. I hadn't heard from him. I called his girlfriend's house and suddenly found out that, uh, he was killed by a drunk driver. Um, and, my world just kind of stopped 
it, it didn't make sense. I was clearly in shock. I can, I can say that with confidence right now. Um, and so I sat on the stairs. We had these blue carpeted stairs of our house and my parents could see me sitting on the stairs and my dad's like, what's up? And, you know, I'm not crying at this point. And I just said, you know, Ryan's dead. Um, and I think once I said it, it was just, mm. then the clarity started of, I'm never going to see my best friend again. He's not, he's not coming over. He's not going to be here. Um, I didn't forecast into him not being here for my kids or anything like that, but I can tell you it, there's not a day that goes by that I haven't been impacted by that. And my dad, who is not known for his empathy, he's, he's a, a six foot three, um, <laughs> actually he's six, five, he's six, five, I'm six, three, he's six, five. And, um, you know, he's just, he's not very empathetic. I'll leave it at that. Um, he, he, he came and sat on the, the stairs with me. Um, and he said, do you want to go get ice cream? Yeah. Walk it off. Hmm. That's exactly, you know, if my dad was going to say anything, right, right. if I got hurt, he would say, walk it off. Yeah. Um, if he said anything. And in that moment, Joe, it was like, Nothing in my world made sense. I felt like I was sliding down a hill of sand and I couldn't mm. grab onto anything. But him asking me that question was so simple. Do you want to get ice cream? And it was one thing I could hold on to and say, yes, I want to get ice cream. And we drove and we got ice cream and I cried. It was the saltiest ice cream I have ever eaten in my life. And every year since then, we've gone and gotten ice cream on December 15th. And so when nothing else in your world makes sense, find the simplest thing. Find the simplest thing. You don't necessarily have to be grateful for it. But it's something that um, I went through years of blaming alcohol. Mm. And then I went through years of... I went through about six months of absolutely horrible depression and I moved down to Ecuador for um, the summer before college and that perspective of seeing these kids, mm. I was, I was volunteering in an orphanage, um, an orphanado um, and uh, seeing these kids who had in my perspective, in my very Western American perspective had mm. nothing be so happy. Right. And I had a house and kit and and my parents running water scholarship. yeah yeah i had toilet paper like yeah. you know i had it all and they were happier than i was right. because i was perseverating on what i didn't have and not to say that i don't miss ryan every single day and absolutely adore him and my kids my daughter is named after him hmm. he's a huge part of my life today and i would never say that i'm grateful that i lost him However, I'm grateful for the experience of the loss to be able to have this conversation with you and your listeners today and all of the other ways that his life has continued to live on through me. There is no doubt in my mind that a piece of his soul through our friendship was exchanged with mine. And so what hurt so bad is when he died, a piece of me died. Mm. And yet a piece of him lived because I chose to live and honor that piece. And so when I got back from Ecuador, um, 
it was just such a perspective on what I could do with the life that that I had. And that's where really the the change started. And I built the community around myself to not do it alone and to really just commit to not doing it alone. Um, and I, you know, there, there's a lot more parts of that story in the masterclass. However, what I can tell you is that, you know, it, it's just thing, what we talked about with balance, like, um, very recently in the past five months, my husband and I have gone through two miscarriages and, um, it's because of my heart condition. We have two beautiful kids though. Um, it doesn't make it hurt any less, but last weekend I went and celebrated my cousin's baby shower and my cousin is due the same week that we would have had our baby mm. in April. And I'm sitting here thinking, I have this incredible loss that I'm grieving. And yet look, another baby is coming into this world in our family. And my cousin is so happy and she looks so radiant and so beautiful. And it's there, it's there, Joe. And it's there for the people that are listening it's there when you look for it. So yes, hmm. I lost Rye. And look at this incredible moment I get to share with you guys to tell you about all of the amazing, beautiful things that that perspective has have brought into my life. And um, it's so funny because this last December uh, 15th, I had clients and friends all over the world sharing on Instagram tagging me on Instagram, eating ice cream hmm. Be, and just Wonderful. celebrating his life. And so, yes. Yeah. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, certainly did elegantly as, as per usual, you give a great, <laughs> uh, analogy. I'm not a horse person at all, but you talked about, you know, the Arab horse when there's one with non Arabs and, you know, Arab, Arab horses are known to be wild and, kind of untamely and and I, I just love it and I just think you can just glean so much from that from that story. Please share that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have so many horse stories. So um we're we're gonna have to reach deep for for this one. And I know I'm gonna get so many messages on dissing Arab horses. So first and foremost, yes I've owned Arabs. Um the way that they're bred and the the play, the area of the world that they live in, um, it's it behooves them to have the energy and endurance, and they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, so the way that I think I put it was like in in a herd is that within your community, you kind of can add an element such as an Arab horse that just kind of raises the frequency and the vibration of mm. the entire herd, either adding anxiety or, you know, maybe calming um, the, the Arab horse down a little bit. Um, and it's also just, I have so many horse analogies. Um, and, and it's, I think what the biggest thing that Arab horses have, Arabian horses um, have taught me is, and horses in general have taught me is that humans are humans, um, and that each one is different and what to expect and, um, to, to keep on your toes. And there, if you get 50 horse people on here, um, most of them are going to tell you that they don't want to work with, you know, Arabians because they're high strung and they're temperamental and they've got minds mm -hmm. of their own. And, 
you're describing like every entrepreneur on the planet, you know, like it's just that's that's just funny to me. Um, and yet, and yet, when you spend the time with an Arabian horse and you are able to really make that connection and use them to fulfill their purpose. If you want a pasture ornament, get a Clydesdale. Hmm. He'll stand out there and he'll eat grass until the, the cows come home. Um, which somebody needs to message me and explain to me this analogy. I don't know what when the cows come home actually means. Um, But I've had the most beautiful rides on a horse that you have made a connection with. Hmm. And um, so, you know, and it's also not my daughter rides, she's 10. I would not get her an Arabian because, you know, it, it takes knowledge and wisdom and um all horses do it's just it's kind of like think about the arabians as like the ferrari Hmm. of the horse world um they're high maintenance for the most part they're high strung they've got a very sensitive gas pedal um and you can do the same thing a hundred times with an arab and uh the hundred and first time they're going to spook Wow. The in the horse world, what we'll say is, you know, you spook a quarter a quarter horse, which is what you mainly see in the Western movies. But you spook a quarter horse, and he's going to jump about, you know, an inch to the side. You spook an Arabian horse, and they're going to run around the world twice, wow. and then come back and probably still keep running. Um, and with the human, you know, how we apply that with the the human world is to just get to know your herd. Hmm. And get to know what makes people tick and how they work and how they function and the praise that they want. Um, And also, you know, if you're going to bring an Arab into a a herd of Clydesdales, you might be asking for trouble. Um, And it's not to say keep Arabians with Arabians. Um, You know, it's just I I remember and I think I shared this. I remember that... um, I was at a demonstration, a, a horse clinic, and they had these folding plastic chairs all set up. And um, they had somebody that was going to be speaking with loudspeakers. And they had six to eight Arabian horses just kind of roaming around. And I was like, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so they turn on the speakers. The mic gets too close to the speakers. The horses spook. And now oh. you've got horses that have legs going through folding chairs chasing people unintentionally because their desire is to get away from the noise and to seek peace. Right. And you've set them up for failure. And so, um, you know, and and honestly, if it was two quarter horses, maybe it would have been better, but it's like you set them up for failure. You hurt your horses, you hurt people. And why? Because you thought it was going to be pretty and Mm. cool. Um, so yeah, is that is that the Arab story you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, just the analogy, yeah, to 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 entrepreneurs. So was your first act or gig as a stunt woman on a horse? <laughs> Unpaid. Um, <laughs> so uh, growing up, we had a quarter horse and a thoroughbred, um, and my aunt taught me how to ride. And um, I did not want to learn how to ride; I just wanted to run on hmm. on bareback. 
And that served me well. However, it also taught me a lot about the the, the one thing that I'm going to say about when we do our power retreats, because we do professional development retreats at a ranch. We do them all over the world. Um, but um, it, people come and they say, all right, when are we going to ride? And what you and this is the same thing with people. The relationship starts on the ground with a horse. And yes, there's trail rides that you can just pay money and, you know, hop on a saddle and go for, for a very slow ride. If you really want to experience something special with a human or with a horse, start with groundwork and start mm. with the relationship. And you wouldn't just walk up to a client and swing your leg over and expect a smooth ride. And so, you know, let's not do that with horses. And so being able to really kind of go there and use those analogies and use that learning um, was really something that started when I was little because I, I literally just jumped on the back of our quarter horse and just ran. No, no bridle, no bit, no, you know, um, lead rope, nothing. And um I started taking lessons, learning how to ride in my thirties. And so there's something to be said hmm. about just your intuition and just, you know, learning and that applies with entrepreneurship. However, the understanding and the respect and the training, because I've, I've trained horses too, since, you know, I was probably about six, 17, 18. Hmm. Um, but understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing, like the, the reasoning and the rationale behind it and that respect to the animal. Um, and then I worked at a, a Western movie studio in Tucson. And that's where I met my husband. My husband's a stuntman. And I worked with the horses. And I also worked in other aspects at the movie studio. And so when I was working with the horses, just watching these actors and stuntmen disrespect the horses... And they get mad at the horses and a hundred percent of the time, it's not the horse's fault. Wow. Um, I can tell you hundred percent of the time, it's not the horse's fault. I watch these movies all the time and I'm like, oh, you're doing it so wrong. That horse is being so tolerant. My husband can't stand to watch horse movies with me. Wow. And I mean, we would run a head of 30 horses, you know, down a wash with just two of us. Um, just, just, herd dynamics. I, I could be a total her, horse nerd now. But to answer your question, my husband got a contract to go to China. And um, so, yes, I did stunts on horses when we were at the movie studio. And I, I helped work with the horses. I helped work with the trail rides. I helped work with the stunt shows with the horses. And I often said I did um, equine therapy on the horses after the stunt med messed them up. Hmm. Um, and then we moved to China. And for the first year of our marriage, so my husband got the contract in China and they said, you can bring your girlfriend, but you have to be married. And my husband was supposed to leave in 10, in like two weeks. So we got married in 10 days. Wow. And um, so when we got to China, they did the casting and it was a Bonnie and Clyde show with like a, a Brad Pitt lead cop character chasing Bonnie and Clyde. I got cast as Bonnie. My husband huh. got cast as the cop chasing Bonnie and Clyde. So our first year of marriage, four to five times a day, I shot my husband, lit him on fire, tried to hit him with a car, blew him up with a bazooka, kissed another man nice. and got paid for it. Hmm. It was a very solid foundation yes. for the first year of marriage. Yes. 
And then I came home and, and continued doing, um, you know, therapy. It was very fun. But what I learned about entrepreneurship from stunt work is the importance of a team hmm. and also risk management and risk mitigation and not to just jump into something without checking your life knots and trusting the importance of trust of your team. And there's no way, and I'm so blessed because entrepreneurs do this all the time and I'm not generalizing because I, I work with entrepreneurs all the time. There's no way I could have done that stunt show by myself. Mm. And so I started my companies with that knowledge of even if it's just starting with a lawyer to set up your agreements and make sure you're legal and your LLCs and an accountant to make sure you're good with the IRS. You can't do it alone, or at least you shouldn't. Mm. And so, you know, I laugh with with the the stunts because I just I took so much away from that. And also the how wasn't as important as the outcome. And so what the what everybody's seeing on your website, imagine that that is the audience behind the website, what you're doing behind the scenes in order to make that happen. They don't really care about no, that no. unless you're teaching them. Hmm. But if I had shown all of the audience exactly how much work went into this 45 minute show that they ended up, you know, watching, which was 20 minutes of action, you know, 15 minutes of pre-show and 10 minutes of, you know, after show, they don't care about all that. They just want mm. to be entertained. And so the value that they receive, that's the, the currency of today's business is attention, keeping your client's attention. Mm. And um, one of my friends, Amy Sangster, said that. And I just, I thought that, you know, I thought back to being a stunt woman. And we worked for months on the set and on training and on all of that. And why did we do it? We didn't do it for our paychecks. I mean, yes, we did. But the reason we got the paychecks is because we were paid by the currency of the audience's attention. Hmm. And that's the same truth on social media whether you're running ads, whether you're doing webinars and masterclasses, whether you're doing YouTube. Very true. On the podcast, we talk a lot about discipline. I lost a lot of weight. I lost 160 pounds, 40 pounds. And people ask me how, like there's some magic bullet, you know, and I just say, well, just discipline. I focused and here we are. I've been fortunate. I've had a business for a long time. Uh, I wonder how discipline plays a role in your life, Bunny Young? <laughs> my coach would tell you that I am very, um, my life, my day does not start until I finish my breath work, my meditation, my journaling, hmm. um, my kids, my phone charges in another room. So I make sure that that foundation of sand that I felt like I had, wow. I make sure that, you know, it started with that. And I truly am a firm believer in your morning sets the tone for the rest of your day. Hmm. And so when you wake up and you start with your emails and you start with, you know, um, putting out fires, that's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your day. I make my bed and I will tell you that I make it for real now. So I'm from a military family. So discipline actually um, was something that I won't say come came easy to me, but it's, we talked about the programs, right? 
everything before the age of seven. Mm. Before I went to school, even as young as, you know, six and seven, my bed had to be made. So I came up with a solution, Joe. I slept on the top of my comforter (laughs) and I pulled a blanket over me. So in the morning, I folded the blanket and I smoothed out my comforter. That was Uh. it. Now, now I make my bed and I pull open my curtains. And so this, this is really just inviting the day in. And I normally have a warm beverage, whether it's summer, whether it's winter. Um, A hot honey lemon is something that I took from living in China that Mm. is really great for detoxing the body and waking up the soul and waking up the mind. Um, And... You know, I think that having a daily gratitude practice, and this is something I do in my journal, but a daily gratitude practice really helps. And for everybody listening to this that does meditation, I would fully invite you to explore breath work. And if you want to message me on Instagram, I can share with you the coach that I use for breath work because she's absolutely amazing. Um, but breath work is something that I, I knew and was using when I was an athlete, um, for endurance. And it's so much that 95% that we talked about that really drops you in. If I, if I nail my morning, anything else in the day is completely possible. Um, with the discipline though, Joe, it's really important to know when something's not working. Mm. It's really important to, Give yourself, make sure you're taking care of the relationship with yourself first and foremost, and then you'll know if something's not quite right and not working. And we talked about those C's and I think community is also a part of that. It's not that if somebody tells me a piece of advice, I'm not going to verify it and kind of take it on for myself. It's also really important to know uh, when to change, because a lot of people say, I feel stuck. I feel overwhelmed. Mm. Well, good. That's actually life's gift to have you stop and evaluate. And normally it's because of three things. Either when you're stuck, it's your chance to evaluate how you're working towards your goal and change how you're working towards your goal. The second is that you're probably not working towards the right goal. And the Mm. third is that you're working towards the right goal. You're doing the right things, but you don't know why you're doing it. And so you don't have the fuel to be able to keep going. And so that's time to rest, recover, and reevaluate. Well said. And when you talk to your clients, is there a certain amount of discipline you feel you need to instill? It's your journey. What, what we do with A Better Place Consulting and with our coaching is bespoke, mm. which means that it's tailored exactly to your life. There's no magic pill, like you said. And, you know, if you came to me and you said, I want to lose 160 pounds, we would focus on how to lose the first pound. Mm. And we would use, you know, the things that motivate you. Not the things that motivate me, but the things that motivate you. And the discipline would be at the frequency that would best serve you. If I gave you homework and you weren't doing the homework, we're going to go back to those three things that we talked about. Either it's the wrong homework, it's the wrong goal, or you're just not clear and motivated in order to achieve that goal. And so there's a million 
a hundred million paths to success. Hmm. And so I want to make sure that discipline starts with clarity. I can have you do something over and over and over again. But again, going back to therapist versus coach, I want to make sure that you don't need me hmm. in order to do the things. And so self-discipline and self-leadership is a huge part of our coaching relationship. What motivates you, Bunny Young? Making the world a better place. And um, it sounds it sounds so cliche. And, mm. you know, I did the whole mountaintop thing to figure out what it is that I wanted out of this life. And I have five companies now. And, you know, at the end of the day, what I wanted after having my daughter and then having my second daughter, I wanted them to inherit a better inherit a better world than um, I had. And I think I have, it, it's a, of course there's room for improvement, mm. but I wanted them to um, be able to have a better world. And so when I get up every day, that's what motivates me. And when I go to sleep, I go to sleep at peace, knowing that I did everything that I could today. If I don't wake up tomorrow, to make sure that my daughters have a better world than when I woke up. And I do that through my companies. I do that through spending time with them. And um, I remember it's on our website that my grandfather told me this starfish story, which is not one of his stories. Trust me, he has a million, but it's not one of his. Um, he just happened to tell it to me that after a storm, there was, you know, hundreds of thousands of starfish washed up on a beach and the sun was coming out and they were all going to die. And there's a child that was picking up the starfish and throwing the starfish back. And this old man came along and said, what are you doing? And the child said, there's all of these starfish that are left on the beach and they're stranded. And unless I help them, they're all going to die in the sun. The old man said, there's one of you and hundreds of thousands of them. You're never going to make a difference. And the kid picked up a starfish, looked at the old man, threw it in the ocean and said, I made a difference to that one. Hmm. And so my goal is that I threw a starfish through this podcast and that, Joe, you're going to pick up a starfish and throw it. And mm. those of you listening, and I am talking to you, that you pick up a starfish and you throw it. And in that way, the starfish are going to not bake in the sun. They're going to be able to go back to the ocean. And we are going to make a difference. No matter how big, no matter how small, it's about the tiny little decisions. You didn't lose 160 pounds overnight. Mm. And so the decisions that you make today, you want to talk about discipline the decisions that I make every single day are going to lead to the big results. The $1 that I save today will lead to the millions of dollars later. And it's never too late to start. What a wonderful story uh, about the starfish. I'm go certainly going to use that and pass it on. And how do you measure success, Bunny? I personally measure success by being able to lay my head down at night and rest peacefully. Hmm. That's, that's my, Joe, I can honestly say I've had so many phases of life where success was making seven figures. Hmm. Success was working as little as possible. I have retired several times in my life and I can tell you that retirement by definition of like not working or doing anything is not for me. Mm -mm. Um, I want to continue to, to as long, I feel like when I wake up, it's a gift that's been given to share my gifts with the world. Sometimes it's by doing podcasts with amazing people like you. 
And sometimes it's by taking my kids to the beach and just walking down the beach and finding some rocks and, you know, taking them home to our rock garden. And sometimes it's by, you know, laying in bed and finishing the new Jay Shetty or Will Smith book, (laughs) you know, like success changes. It's fluid for me. Mm. And I'm intentional about how I define that. But the holistic way that has always been is being able to lay my head down at night and closing my eyes and not being a, not helping, but to smile, knowing that I'm at peace and I don't need external measurements to tell me that I made a difference. That's for me to be able to, to do. And one of the things like my mom has this amazing epic ornament party around holiday time every year. And as soon as everybody leaves the first question out of her mouth, I mean, she's been doing this for over 30 years is, do you think everybody had fun? Hmm. And I'm like, did you have fun? And she's like, yeah, I just don't know if everybody else had fun. And I'm like, it doesn't matter as long as you had fun, right? Like you get to say what success Hmm. is. And um, I, I married into my uh, father-in-love is a pastor and, um, I've heard people in, in, you know, the church community say like, you know, just trying to be perfect. And I know my father in love when he listens to this is going to, um, cringe at this. But my response to that is the last person who was perfect was betrayed by his friends and died Mm. a pretty horrible death. So I'm going to go with laying my head down at night and having peace because perfection, it's like happiness. It'll never be enough because I, I'm ultimately not the one to judge whether or not I'm perfect. That's somebody that's, you know, higher on the pay grade than me. And I also don't think anybody in my life that are my people expect me to be perfect. When I, you listen to the masterclass, you've watched the YouTube videos. There's not perfection. I actually take pride in the fact that with a brain injury and multiple heart conditions, sometimes on a podcast, I'm like, what's the question that you asked me? Like, I'm not going to be a perfect podcast, you know, guest. And what does that even mean? Did you get something out of, you know, the past couple minutes listening to this? I hope so. And if you did, then you're my starfish I've thrown for today. Mm. Well, you've been an absolute wonderful guest and I love talking to you. I get, you know, we have something in common. We both have uh, uh, a sportive, sexy spouses. So um, I read that. <laughs> and uh, and of course, I have two daughters as well. So if I'm ever in the Richmond area, I hope we can get together and have uh, some of that uh, lemon water uh, you talked about. Uh, hot honey lemon. <laughs> hot honey lemon. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today. Tell us how we can get in touch with you, please. The best, if you want absolutely um, all the free resources that I would love to give you, a betterplaceconsulting.com or bunnyyoung.com, that is for you. If you want me, social media at bunny has six legs, and it's the number six because I have a service dog, is the um, my handle and at a better place consulting. 
is the company's handle. And you can find both of those on the website. And I do answer my direct messages on Instagram. Um, so I love hearing, I'd love to hear any takeaways that you got from this podcast. And please tag Joe too. So we can both share in what you got out of this amazing time that we were able to share together. I just want to thank each and every one of you for being the starfish and making the world a better place. It's been such an honor and pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Let's all throw a starfish in and, and do the best we can. We'll put all the links in the show notes as well. Bunny Young, thank you so much. Now, Super Bunny, I never asked about that. Um, I, <laughs> I heard you mention that at one point. Is that is that your nickname? Do you like that? Super Bunny. Yeah, I think that came. I think that came from a family photo that we took. So obviously, my husband's a stuntman, yes. and my daughter dressed as like Spider Man. My youngest daughter dressed as, um, uh, I think it's like Captain Marvel, and then I had a Wonder Woman outfit on, and that was like my husband despises family photos, despises them, and so that was our Christmas card. And um, my team lovingly like cropped out just the picture of me as Wonder Woman. And um, that's that goes to making the world a better place. Very good. So, Thank you. Yes. Appreciate it. Between, <laughs> between that, Joe, and then apparently I'm competing with Beyonce for Queen Bee. Really? So we'll, oh, we'll see Beyonce, which title, which yeah, title sticks. Yeah. Well, you got my vote. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. And uh Really, really wonderful. I hope one day we get to, you know, have a have a uh, a drink together. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely, we won't make it an accident. We'll make it intentional. I'll see you soon. You be well. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pin's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. There's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pin's Discipline Conversation.